Well, good morning, church. It's good to be back. I was gone last week, and truly, I hate missing Sundays. I hate missing Sundays. I feel like I miss out. I have that FOMO problem. I'm like, everyone was here, happy and worshiping, and I wasn't here. Truly, y'all are my church family, and I miss you when I'm gone. So it's good to be back. Um, Over the weekend, uh, I was out of town. I was officiating my older brother's wedding. And I went well. I, I really wanted the ceremony to go well and the message to go well. I have, I have a lot of family members who, who don't know the Lord and a lot of people I haven't seen in a long time. And so I wanted to do a good job, both to share the gospel well and honestly to, to make a good impression on my family. So the wedding begins and the bride comes down and everyone stands and they stand before me and I begin my opening remarks And after a few sentences in, uh, everyone starts laughing, including my brother and my sister-in-law. So I keep going, but it dawns on me, I just accidentally said a swear word at the beginning of the wedding ceremony. I was recounting how excited we all were for this day and that my brother was not Sure, it would happen. Well, I was speaking a little fast, and sure and it combined into one word that I will not say in worship this morning. I was slightly mortified that this happened. (laughs) Thankfully, my brother thought it was hilarious, and so did my sister-in-law. It put them totally at ease because they were very nervous, so it was good for them, bad for me. So, honestly, it took me a while to shake this feeling of embarrassment that washed over me. And I half-jokingly said that I will never public speak again. (laughs) You know, I'm joking there. I I truly, I enjoy preaching. I enjoy public speaking. But I am always cognizant of the risks involved in such an endeavor. In fact, I'm kind of worried right now, what if I cuss again (laughs) in retelling the story? Gosh, that would be embarrassing. What, what if I mess up up here? What if I embarrass myself? What if people don't like what I have to say? What if perhaps they, they don't like it so much that they, they cut off relationship with me or with the church or with Jesus? Most importantly, will, will God be pleased with what I say and do up here? This is a vulnerable thing, but most things worthwhile in life require our vulnerability. Dr. Brene Brown is a social worker who is an expert on the topic of vulnerability. And honestly, I thought about just pulling her talk up on YouTube and just pressing play. (laughs) It's honestly that good. Just go look up Brene Brown on vulnerability. She's fantastic, and she definitely influenced uh, what I'm saying today. And about vulnerability, uh, she says it's the feeling that we get during times of uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure. This includes times when we're showing our feelings and we're not sure what people will think, and times when we really care about something and people will know that we're sad or disappointed when it doesn't work out. Now, Dr. Brown's research discovered that the most wholehearted people are those who regularly practice vulnerability. She says vulnerability is the birthplace of joy, love, of belonging, creativity, and of faith. Vulnerability 
connects us as fellow human beings. It builds bonds of, of love and trust and belonging. And I would go as far as to say vulnerability is essential to our spiritual growth. It's essential to living an emotionally healthy, mature life in Christ. So we're in a series called Grow Together, Flourishing as Disciples in Community. And I contend to you this morning that we need vulnerability to flourish. We need vulnerability to grow as disciples of Christ. Without vulnerability, there's no communion with others. And without communion with others, there's no spiritual growth. Unfortunately, neither the world nor the church are good at being vulnerable. We know it's risky. We wonder, we worry about how people will receive us if we open up. So instead of finding healing for our struggles through vulnerability, we project out strength to those around us. And then we turn to screens or substances to deal with what's going on inside. So most of us, I would say, are probably beginners when it comes to being vulnerable. So that's why we're going to go over the ABCs today. We're going to go over the ABCs of vulnerability. Each of these requires us to be vulnerable. It will stretch you, but as you're stretched, I believe your heart, your love, your joy, your life in Christ will expand and grow. So the first letter we're going to talk about is letter A, affection. Affection. This means a fond attachment, devotion, or love towards others. It's to risk expressing feelings of affection and words and actions of love or devotion. It's a vulnerable thing to do, but it is the foundation. It's the place that we must start before we can go on to greater depths of vulnerability. The passage that we read uh, this morning, 1 Corinthians 10, it, it has some really intense parts to it. Did you pick up on that? Uh, and so Paul begins in chapter 10, verse 1, and he's, he's recounting Israel's past, and, he, and he's giving them some warnings. And he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, but then he stops himself. It's like he pauses. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, whatever Paul has to say, he wants to ensure that they're hearing this with family-like affection and love. You all are my brothers and sisters. So whatever I say, hear it with this love in your, in your heart. See, if people don't know that we love them, that we care for them, that, that we genuinely are concerned for their well-being, uh, it's going to be hard for them to hear the harder things, the more vulnerable things that they need to hear or that we need to share. If we don't share in a mutual affection as the church, we won't build strong enough relationships to become truly vulnerable. A certain level of trust and love has to be built and shared. I do think we can risk being vulnerable with anybody, uh, but certainly we'll be much more likely to do so if we start with affection, if we start with love, if we start caring for one another. And I think the Apostle Paul was a great example for us in this respect. I mean, how did he always begin his letters? Almost every letter he opens up by saying, I thank God for you. I've been praying for you, how we've longed for you with the affection of Christ. I mean, he's always communicating his love, his affection towards the church. And in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, uh, we encounter Paul at, I think, what is his most vulnerable moment. 
fact, I'd like to call 2 Corinthians the vulnerability letter because that's about what it is. Now, what is happening in the church in Corinth, you know, Paul had planted the church. He had pastored there for about a year and a half and then continued on with his missionary travels and journeys. And during the time that he's been away, some other apostles have come in uh, and they're the so-called super apostles. I think that's a hilarious name. It's like, it's like the Avengers, you know, it's like, we're the super pastors. You know, like, what is, what is that about? I don't know, check the commentary on that, I don't, I don't know. But apparently they, they had some type of impressive credentials that were beyond Paul's, and so the people were swooned over these other apostles coming in, but the problem was they were teaching things contrary to the gospel that Paul taught them. And so they, they began closing Paul off as they accepted these new teachers. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is pleading with the people. And, he, and I, I hear Paul just almost saying this with a, with a broken heart. Uh, and he says, yeah, I do have it on the screen for you. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts. We are not withholding our affection from you. But you're withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. What a vulnerable and courageous thing to write, right? First off, he says, I've been, I've been speaking freely. I'm, I've been totally transparent with you. I've been speaking frankly with you. I'm not holding anything back. And we've opened wide our hearts to you. We've allowed our affection, our devotion, our love to know no bounds. And then he says, we're not withholding affection. What a thing to say. I'm giving you all the love, all the affection that I possibly could. And then Paul says something even more vulnerable. He risks to say, but you are withholding yours from us. I hear that with a tone of sadness. It's an, that, that, that phrase there, you're withholding your affection, uh, in the Greek, it has an interesting connotation. It, it connotates the, the constricting of space, the closing of space. So we have the idea that someone's mind can become closed off to other ideas, right? It, it's a closed-mindedness that can happen. Well, Paul's using this analogy for the heart, that their heart is being closed off. It's being constricted. In fact, in fact, the scholar Linda Belleville says that, that Paul is being squeezed out of their hearts. Because of their new relationship with these super apostles, they're closing Paul off, closing him out of their hearts and their lives. I think Paul is incredibly saddened. You know, I, I don't think he's saying this in a spirit of anger. I, I think he is, he's, he's genuinely in the bowels of his spirit wanting them to open their hearts. He says, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. I mean, Paul's spiritual children, they're closing him out of their lives, out of their hearts. I mean, you can imagine if you're a parent, or sometimes parents experience this viscerally. As a parent, Paul is saying, don't cut me out of your life. Don't cut me out of your life. Don't cut me out of your heart. Paul shows incredible love and affection here. You know, one of the scariest things, I think, about vulnerability is that we fear that someone else will not reciprocate our love. And Paul is experiencing that pain. 
right now. But Paul even pushes past that for the sake of love. It reminds me of what C.S. Lewis said. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrong and, and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So we begin this process, friends, of love by, by risking to be vulnerable, by risking to show affection, by risking to share love, to be the first person to say, I love you, to be the first person to say, I care about you, to be the first person to show that you care for them as a person. And so all of this vulnerability, it needs to happen in a community where it's built on a foundation of love. You know, we have a small group of people in our church, and I mean that literally, because we have community groups now, not small groups, right? We have literally a small group of people uh, uh, going through Mending the Soul, uh, which is a group process for healing from abuse. That's a vulnerable thing to sign up for, right? I really want to thank Shelly Hayes uh, and my wife for opening up this group uh, and creating that space. I think it's, it, it's so needed. Um, and Laura pointed out to me a quote that she really liked. In the Mending the Soul workbook, Celestia Tracy writes, Healing is basically relearning to feel, to express, and to need in a community of safe people where nurture and comfort are the norm. That's affection's power. When we nurture, when we comfort, if you can be in that community, we can risk being vulnerable and passive healing open up as the Spirit can come in and God can do His work. So we have to start with affection. That's letter A. Letter B is boasting about our weaknesses. Boasting about our weaknesses. Now, one of the primary hindrances to vulnerability is our sense of shame. Brene Brown says, Shame is the fear of disconnection. Am I worthy of connection? The one thing that keeps us from connection is the fear that we are not worthy of connection. It's the fear that we are not enough, that we are not worthy, that we are not loved, that keeps us from connection with others. And if we live in that disconnection, that drives even more shame, more isolation, more feelings of unworthiness. So we have to break the cycle. And friends, we have the good news of the gospel that frees us from shame. It frees us from shame. The good news that you are loved by God. You are made in his image. Your creator values your, soul, your life so much that he died for you, spilled his blood on the cross. It's literally true that there is nothing in this universe that has more worth and value than you. Jesus Christ died for you. 
There is nothing more valuable than you. You are loved by Christ, and there is nothing at all. There is nothing anybody can say that can change that. There is nothing that you can do, no mistake you can make, no weakness that you have that changes your inherent value and worth before God. Someone say hallelujah. We have this good news. And if you're struggling to feel that, if you're struggling to experience that, let me just encourage you this morning, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Paul prayed in Ephesians that the church would know the height, the depth, the width, and the length of the love of God in Christ. Sometimes you need the help of God to know that God loves you into the depths of your being. And so cry out to God and we'll pray for you as a church, we'll pray for that as well. That God would reveal that to you in your heart. Now, in Paul's vulnerability letter in 2 Corinthians, he, he goes on to describe a mysterious thorn in the flesh. Um, and no one really knows what this is. Um, I've heard some persuasive arguments. They think it's maybe a physical ailment of some kind. But it also could be in a, you know, a, an emotional or, or mental uh, uh, issue as well. Something hard to deal with, a, a temptation. But the reality is, I think it's best that we don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. Because we all have thorns and struggles of various kinds. And Paul prays that God would, would, he pleads with God, take this thorn out of my life. Three times he prays, like Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. William Barclay says that God answered that prayer as he answers so many prayers. He did not take the thing away, but gave Paul strength to bear it. God does not spare us things, but makes us able to conquer them. I think we've all probably experienced this at some level. I think one of the secrets to a flourishing spiritual life that Paul discovered by the revelation of Jesus Christ is that Christ's power is made perfect in your weakness. In the things that you might be scared to talk about and share. Christ's power is made perfect in that. Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, Well, if that's the case, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, you know this verse, but just step back for a moment. This is crazy talk. This is crazy I delight in weaknesses. I don't like being weak. I like, to, I like to lift weights. That's one of my hobbies. I prefer being strong. Thank you very much. I'd rather not be weak. I delight in insults. I hate being insulted. That's a horrible feeling. I delight in hardships and difficulties. I prefer not to go through those. Thank you very much. But if we can reframe our perspective... That in those moments of weakness, Christ's power is being perfected and magnified and released by the Holy Spirit. Well, now I can say, yeah, bring it on. Because now a supernatural power is going to come into my life. We receive consolation, grace, and strength. But friends, often we're too proud 
to receive the grace we need in our weakness. We trust in ourselves with all our hearts. We do lean upon our own understanding. And in all our ways, we don't really acknowledge God. We're not really aware of his presence. If we want to receive grace, we have to be humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we have to humble ourselves and say, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. If we're going, if we're, if we're going, to, if we're going to grow spiritually, we need to be much quicker to admit and even to brag about how weak we are. We are so weak. And when we admit we're weak, God sends his help and grace. And often, I believe that comes through other people. If I can practice sharing something vulnerable with you, the first year of the pandemic was, was hard for everybody. It's hard for all of us. It was really hard for me too. And uh, about a month or two in to the pandemic, I, I started seeing a counselor just to help me process some of the emotional stress, the, stri- the stress, the strife between people, the different conflicting opinions about what to do. It was really hard. It was really hard for me to handle at times emotionally. And so I started seeing a counselor just to help me process through some of the things. And I, and I believe I now recognize that because if I'm honest, it was hard for me to admit that I would benefit from it. I would prefer just to be strong and, and, grit, and grit myself through it. And my wife really encouraged me to say, you should maybe think about doing this. Thank God for Laura. But I see that as God's grace to say, you know, I admitted my weakness. I could use some help processing this stuff. And I believe God brought strength to me through that. And let me just say to you, you don't need to be in a crisis to see a counselor. It can benefit you at any time. No, nobody is above it. It's just simply a helpful thing to do. Um, no, I'm not currently seeing a counselor right now, but I do also want to tell you that I've recently started seeing a spiritual director. Because, friends, I know. I'm not strong enough to be human on my own. I'm not strong enough to be your pastor on my own. I need other people pouring into my life, helping me. I need God's help. I need others' help. And often when we, when we can just say, I need help, that's when God's gracious help comes. So let's boast about our weaknesses. We are weak people. We are broken human beings. We all need help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit and God's help through others. So we start with affection. That's letter A. And if you, can, you graduate to letter B, boasting about our weaknesses, letter C, it's confession. Confession. Now, I want to go back to the 1 Corinthians 10 passage. Paul is warning them about all kinds of stuff, and this should give us all humility. We all need warnings. We need warnings. We all need spiritual caution. We all need a way out of temptation. That's how weak we are. So then Paul says in verse 12, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Remember that every single one of us, we we all face temptation of many kinds. And if if you're shaming yourself 
for experiencing temptation. Just remember, this is common to every person that's ever lived in the history of the world. We all experience temptation. That's part of life. That's part of being human. Don't beat yourself up about it. And the good news is, there is a way out if you want it. If we're honest, though, we don't always want to find the way out of temptation, or perhaps we succumb to it. And if that's the case, then I contend to you that we need the practice of confession. We need the practice of confession. Unfortunately, the, the Protestant church, by and large, is, uh, has not practiced confession very well. Well, we've kind of thought that's a little bit too Catholic. Um, but I contend that there is a reason why our Catholic brothers and sisters, if you read their theology on this, they believe it is essential to spiritual flourishing to practice confession regularly to somebody else. Now, we might say, well, it doesn't have to be to the priest. That's fine. But I think there is power in a regular practice to somebody else confessing your sins. There's a reason why that was a strong practice. And I think it actually goes back all the way to the first covenant. And now I want you to look at uh, Numbers 5. And it might be a little, might take a little second to understand this. But it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him whom he did the wrong. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. First of all, any sin a person might commit and they realize they've done wrong. That covers pretty much everything, right? So when they realize I've done something wrong, what do they have to do? They have, they have to confess their sin to they commit it. Now, if you go on down, so it talks about the restitution. We'll talk about that. And it says they bring the restitution in addition to the ram of atonement with which the atonement is made for them. So if you sinned and you realize your guilt, you had to bring an offering. You had to bring a noisy animal to the temple and go to the priest and confess your sins and sacrifice the animal for your sins. In addition to that, if you wronged somebody else and you realized it, you had to make restitution. You had to go above and beyond the wrong that you did for them. I mean, can you imagine? How vulnerable is this? You have to publicly go, bring a loud animal, and say, I sinned, and confess. But friends, God knows that we need vulnerability for the people of God to find healing from sin. If we keep it in the dark, that's where shame can build. And we need to get it out into the light. And this is carried over into the New Testament. We know that Wendy quoted earlier, quoted it earlier, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, thank God you don't have to bring in a ram. Jesus already did that. But how much easier it is for us than it was for them in the Old Covenant. Can we not at least make this step to go to another person that we trust and confess our sins? You know, by personal experience, I'll tell you that it's, it's hard to break the power of sin unless you're bringing it into the light to somebody else, unless you're confessing it. John Wesley believed in this. He said you, you, you can't grow in holiness unless you're in other relationships. And that's how he set up the early Methodist movement. Um, in fact, this is something I'm discovering. As you know, I'm, I'm working on my doctorate and basically leading a healthy church and helping people disciple. And one of the things I'm working on is a model where Christians can get together and share affection 
and share about their weaknesses and confess their sin so that they can be healed and flourish spiritually. If you're interested in that kind of thing, just let me know. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. Because the reality is we need vulnerability in order to flourish as disciples in community. So you may, after hearing me, I hope you will agree that you need vulnerability, but if you're thinking, well, maybe this isn't for me, let me just say to you what Paul said. If you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. Even if you feel like you're strong right now, look at the, the history of God's people. We know sin is a powerful force. Take action now so that we can have the vulnerable relationships we need so that when the day of temptation and testing does come, we have the healthy relationships we need so that we can be healed and we can get through them. So how can you grow in your vulnerability? Take the risk of practicing these ABCs. Give affection to other people. Post about your weaknesses and confess your sins one to another. I want to give you a discipleship question of the week as we do every week in this series. What struggles or temptations are you facing and how are you responding? This is a vulnerable question to ask somebody and to answer it yourself. But I just want to invite you today to take a step of growth. Find at least one person with whom you can ask this question and see what God might do to bring healing in your life and theirs. And let me conclude by saying, I don't think anybody was more vulnerable than Jesus of Nazareth. No one was more vulnerable than him. He could have stayed self-protected in heaven. He could have been protecting himself there at no risk in heaven. But he chose the path of vulnerability, open to both emotional and physical attack and grief. He did that for the sake of love. He did that for you. And now I invite you to walk the same path our Savior walked.